0: It is Locked On Jazz for the 31st of January. Joe Ingles goes down with a non-contact left knee injury. The person, the member of the franchise, where Joe is in his life right now, what the evolution of him as a player has been, what it means for the Jazz on the floor, the locker room, and in the trade market. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz Hi, I'm David Locke, Radio Voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen. We are free and available on all platforms. And if you're watching on YouTube, please hit subscribe and hit the bell to get notified whenever we put up episodes. Obviously last night the Jazz lost, the loss is another one, but the real loss, Joe Ingles sets his left foot, his knee seems to crumble slash explode, whatever awful word you want to use, and it is every indication we will hear today, the Joe Ingles season, if not more, has come to an end uh, with the Utah Jazz, and we will talk about it and break it down. We will look at it from every angle possible. A lot of people said it's got to be a happy hat day. It's not a happy hat day. Tomorrow, we can go happy hat. It'll be February. We can get this terrible month of January out. Uh, the month of January has been a flat-out disaster for the Utah Jazz. 4-12, and 12, Rudy Hurt, Joe Donovan Hurt, COVID, and now Joe Ingles, uh, seemingly, uh, for the season, uh, or if not ending his Jazz career, if not ending his entire career, time will tell. Uh, so let's just talk about Joe for a second. Uh, I've called every single one of his games of his career. I realized this morning, uh, he's probably the player that is the most, I, I know the best as a person I've had the longest conversations with. Um, you know, the funny thing for me with Joe is there's the the veneer, which is kind of the past. And he's kind of, he's always poking. He's a little bit of a bully at times. And then when you get below that veneer, you, you get this wonderful, deep, thoughtful person. Um, and if, you know, I feel like know him pretty well, and really, just my my kind of pain I have for he and his family today is is real. Uh, I can't stop hearing the scream uh, from last night uh, that came through our headphones through the effects. We tried to get it off the air as fast as possible. I, I don't know if we did. Uh, so he came to us in one of the you know great NBA stories of all time. Uh, assuming you know it by now, but it's worth telling again. He's he's played in Europe. He's in Barcelona. He's actually not having a, a, a great run. He's left Australia where he set a bunch of records. He, he goes to FC Barcelona, which he described to me was the New York Yankees of European basketball. If you get offered a job there, you have to go take it. He doesn't like it. He doesn't play a lot. Um, he goes to Maccabi of Tel Aviv and plays there. And then he tries to make it back to the NBA. He's actually been to the Warriors camp before and he's been released Um, I believe he'd been to the Memphis Grizzlies or Summer League and been to the Memphis Grizzlies Summer League. And in neither case did he get offered anything. And so he goes to the Clippers and he's in Clippers camp and it's October 25th and the season's about to start. And uh, Renee, his I think then um, girlfriend, I don't think fiance, is flying over from Australia in an awfully long flight to L.A. to see his NBA debut and while he, she's in the air, he gets released. And Joe has to meet her at the airport and say, well, we get a nice vacation in Southern California, but you're not seeing my NBA debut. Two days later, he signs with the Utah Jazz. Joe, Quinn Snyder had seen Joe play in Europe when Quinn was an assistant uh, for Edra Messina in uh, Seska, Moscow, was aware of his game. Uh, Dennis Lindsay and his staff was, was aware of the game of Joe's game, and they signed Joe. And Joe comes to us really in a lot of our minds as Dante Exum's caddy. If you remember that Dante Exum is, is with the team. It's the 2014, 15 team. We're not good. And Joe's going to come and it seems like Joe's going to come and just be, you know, honestly a, a bit piece that's going to make sure that the 18 year old Australian, whose first autograph he ever got in his life was Joe Ingalls is going to be okay. And Joe plays four minutes in the opener and, Eleven in a game after that, and Joe misses his first uh, seven shots, three-point shots of his career. He opens his NBA career, I think, going two of eleven in the, and he takes eleven shots in the first six games. I mean, he scores four points in his opening six games. The shots too slow, the legs are too slow, the body's too slow. There's no way this guy is going to become much of much of anything. Um, and yet, Joe works and develops a game that becomes totally viable. He's His first 17 games of his NBA career, he shoots 37% and 30% from three. And then in December, he shoots 20% from three. I mean, there's, there's a legitimate thought. I, I, I look back on this and remember, like when we hit January 1 and hit the guarantee date of his rookie year, he's played 32 games. He's shooting 39% from the field and 25% from three, playing 16 minutes a night, scoring three points a game. Like, there's a real chance that he's not making the club or getting out of January at that point. Now, luckily, we're not very good. And he kind of stays with it. And then it starts to click in after January. He has, he actually has a pretty good month of January shooting the three, but nothing else. And he, by the end of the year, he's kind of worked it together. in the 14-15 season, by the end, Joe is actually playing and has suddenly maybe established himself as a – somewhat of an NBA uh, player at that point. Uh, he then in July of 2015, which is that off season, he signed, he played for $500,000. He signs a two year, $4.5 million contract with the jazz. in at the end of 2015, so he's going to get two years in the league. It's probably more than he ever expected. And he works with Zach Guthrie jazz assistant coach. And he suddenly has become a bona fide shooter. And now everyone, um, is is getting up on him so he learns a little bit of an off the bounce three and then he's talked about this a lot the next step in the process is the playoffs where they expose him and he suddenly realizes that he has to be able to go right and they're they're not going to let him in the playoffs go right he ends up in the playoff series um, uh, I think it was against the Houston Rockets when we get beat he goes 14 of 32 or maybe it was he was eight of 29 he shoots 28 percent and 32 this is in the 2019 he's but now it's the next step and he adds this kind of long outstretched right hand dribble that gets him that open three and last year he has the season that is the reason we go 52 and 20 when people want to know why the utah jazz went 52 and 20 last year the answer is because of rudy gobert obviously donovan but joe ingles joe ingles had the Kyle Corver year of the Atlanta Hawks team that surprised everyone and really became uh, an incredible, incredible off- offensive asset. In the meantime, we've got the stories. We've got the Memphis headband. We've got the Paul George playoff series. And then we've got the heartfelt, his son. We go through with him. This is everything you've ever wanted out of a player in your franchise. You, you're experiencing his life with him. And he was very open about it. he, he, um, his son is diagnosed with autism. He has a very poor first half of the season. I remember uh, being with Zach Guthrie in a hotel, I think, in San Francisco, where I finally asked him, like, what is wrong with Joe? He was just going through a lot of stuff. And try- I was didn't know what it was. And then after All-Star break, he comes out and announces that that his son, Jacob, has autism. And then I think if we ask Joe with the highlight of his crew will be, it will be that autism night <coughs> with the Utah Jazz where they, you know, they truly put on an incredible night. Joe's openly said, uh, that that is the most uh awesome uh night of of his um, of his career, and I think that 's you know probably the night that puts a capsule um on it so where you know where is Joe? Um, there's some other aspects of it we'll we'll continue to dig in today 's show is brought to you by Murdoch Chevy, located in Woods Cross also in Logan, the Chevy lineup of trucks we know it well it 's the Silverado and the Colorado the Silverado is the absolute awesome, big, massive truck. You feel like you're sitting in a Lazy Boy chair having the greatest time of your life. The Colorado's the the nimble truck that you use. is kind of around the house getting everything done. The SUV lineup is vastly underrated. The Equinox, the Blazer, and the Trax all there for you. And then you know the Tahoe and the Suburban, the Utah County Assault vehicles that come after you. It's all at Murdoch Chevy. The Murdochs will not charge more than MSRP. They have vowed not to take advantage of the customers during this stretch of time uh, with the car shortage. If you'd like to have a VIP meeting at Murdoch Chevy in Woods Cross or in Murdoch Chevy in Logan, feel free to email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com. And we'll get you set up over at Murdoch Chevy in Woods Cross and in Linden. As we continue with Joe you know, I think we grew to understand him a little bit. There was this fun that he kind of poked. There was the math teacher, the substitute math teacher that everyone claimed him to be. But then we also knew he was our guy, right? The rest of the, as we were winning and what the the world was watching, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, and we knew that we had something in Joe Ingalls. That was kind of, I think, but part of it was, is that we understood that Joe was better than anyone else realized. He brought more, um, to the table. And so in that sense, he kind of was our secret of our guy um, in all of that. He, you know, this locker room has been a, has been a special place uh, from Ricky Rubio to Jay Crowder. Now with this most recent group that went through a lot of tumultuous stuff with COVID and then into its existence now. And I have to feel that Joe's at the cornerstone in the middle of a lot of it. You know, sometimes Joe can be the grandest grump of all grumps, but I think at the core of it, He's the one who jokes and funds and brings the group together. George Niang was that as well. We'll touch on, on that locker room as well. And I think, you know, he deserves a lot of credit of that. And so we've seen this, this run. And, and who knows, you know, where Joe is right now, he's he's accomplished his number one goal of his career. He he got the medal for Australia. He's 33 years old. He is a free agent, 34 years old. He's a free agent at the end of the season. He has a wonderful wife, three t- credible kids, this amazing family. You know, I don't know, like, is, is that a circumstance in which he's a free agent? He probably just cost this injury probably cost him at minimum $15 million, which is just like gut wrenching. I know fine. He's got 55. It's still $15 million, like it's a lot. And frankly with the way he and Renee, their philanthropy that they've done with autism, it's crushing that, that I think they would have used a lot of it for that, you know, and so that's that's even crushing for our community. So I don't know what happens with Joe next. Um, if, in fact, the results of the MRI and everything are what we anticipate them to be today and what the all the indications are. Does he decide that a year rehab on a minimum contract or a slightly above minimum contract, probably in Utah at that point, um, is worth it? Or does he just decide this has been an amazing run from the day I picked Renee up at the airport to being able to have the autism night to getting in Paul George's head to having a special franchise and just be a part of the Utah jazz forever as he's will have played every single game for this franchise time, time will tell. Um, And we'll, we'll see on the podcast. We'll continue um, and talk about him as a player, where he is, what he brought to the franchise and uh, what it will mean for the jazz on the court. Then we'll also, Uh, look as well as uh, some other impacts on the Jazz in the locker room and then the trade landscape of things as we continue. On YouTube, we're breaking it up into segments, so this is the close of this segment. If you want more, uh, there's more on Locked on Jazz on the YouTube end of things. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Thanks very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of every single day. For your second listen today, make sure you check out Locked On Bets as your boy Q and Lee Sterling, get you ready for all that. Plus, Locked On Now has the NBA recap of action last night on a big night of the NBA. That's available for you on your podcast at Locked On Now and on YouTube at Locked On NBA. So Joe Ingles, last year was his peak as a player. Really a remarkable year. As I said earlier, when when you look back at us being at 52 and 50, he's the reason. Um, you know, an incredible kind of point guard sh- uh <clears throat> transition, three-point shooting, small forward. He was all over the place uh for us last year as he played in 67 of the 72 games uh for the team last year. He finally sat out of game, ending a streak, shot 49% from the floor, 45% from three, he averaged 12 points. At 33 years old, Joe Ingles had a career year that spurred the Utah Jazz to the to the really – and I thought Joe was sixth man of the year. I've said this. I don't mean this as a slight to Jordan the same way if I said Jordan was the sixth man of the year. I don't mean it as a slight to Joe. I thought Joe was more efficient. I thought he was more vital. I thought he did more things. I really thought he was our sixth man of the year. He was an incredibly important for the last few years. He has been a, a wildly important third ball handler – on the floor for the Utah Jazz. He ran 21% of our pick and rolls last year, which I believe was the second most uh, on the roster behind Donovan Mitchell. He had that really neat combination with Derek Favors that we saw so many times, But the fact was that he actually was way better uh, with Rudy Gobert. Um, that he That was as much as, you know, that's not what anyone talked, we talked about in the sense that it was it was we always talked about the Joe Ingalls Derek Favors combination, and it was great. He was part of key lineups last year. Joe Ingles last year and Rudy Gobert were as good as anyone in the NBA. Frankly, only Donovan and Rudy um, and Mike and Rudy were much better. Otherwise, Joe and Rudy were in the in the top group. He ran 22 uh, percent of our pick and rolls. And so you've had this incredible piece of our puzzle: 6'8, 220, able to play the pick and roll, see over defenses, make plays that other guys can't make at that size. And then also an electric shooter. Um, He was, I don't have the numbers anymore, but for a long time in the first six seconds of the shot clock, he was the number one effective field goal percentage player in the league. You've heard me kind of say a lot of times, like, get out, get out. Like, he used to come back to the ball, and I understood how great he was in transition and wanted him to get the ball out um, a lot more than that. Um, And he really was, you know, he was as much of a key cog of anything. And we've been sitting around, I think, waiting a little bit, wondering whether or not, Joe Ingles was going to return to form because this has been a real struggle for him this year. Um, whether it was the COVID or the body um, just failing him at 34 years old, or just the amount of basketball he's played in the last three years with Australia, for whatever reason, uh, this had really become a little bit of a struggle. The month of January for Joe uh, was the 30% three-point shooting. I think and 20% from three, um, and honestly, the weirdest thing to me about this injury, and and I'll just I'll share this is when we went to break on the segment before, I turned to Ron Boone. And I said, Joe looks as far off as I've ever seen him. And I just, and, and then it looked to me like Joe came out in the next part of the game and really tried to assert himself. He made a beautiful pass on the play before on a drive and a kick out. And, Then he, and then on the next play was the hard drive to the basket. It was as though he was, he knew he was off and he was trying to assert himself um, on the game. I think a bunch of the comments that came out of the locker room about we all know how much this matters to Joe and how much he cares uh, was really telling. And this guy was our bellwether. Like if you go look at wins. This year in losses, in wins, he shot 44% and 40% from three. In losses, he shot 35% and 26% from three. Like if Joe went, we went still to this day. And then you look at January in it's final 11 games of this season. If he, in fact, is he's done for the season, 29% field goal percentage, 20% from three. I mean, this has just been seven of them starts. The signature to Joe has always been that when he starts, he's going to be better, and it gets the ball in his hands, and he plays the ball more, and it just – he didn't have the ball in his hands nearly as much this year, and he just really was was not, was not playing as well. That evolution of the player, and it's, it hit a wall this month. Um, and frankly, it hit a wall a few other times in Joe's career, Frank, you go back and look on the, the summer before of, of or the, the first half of the season um, in with the autism going on, if I remember correctly, that's February of 2020. And he shoots thirty five percent and twenty nine percent from three. And then it kind of then he goes to the bubble and he, he feels he seems rejuvenated unless I'm off by a year there Um I'm trying to remember when that was. Um, if if it might have might be off by a year, but I don't think so. That's kind of I think I have that right. Um, and so we've seen these little bumps for Joe before. We bumped out of it January. Might have been Jan, uh, January of of 2019. He did it as well. He shot 39% and 31% from three, and then and then came out of it. This has always been kind of a tough stretch time of the year for him. Um, and so what do we do? You know, so that's you know Joe the player. I think we've talked about the career run. Joe, the player length point guard play early offense, dynamite shooter, third ball handling playmaker that could play point guard or be the second ball handler on the floor, the bellwether for the Utah jazz. When he's on, it was the added piece that just made us unstoppable. Um, And I think we've, we, we've saw that. And then we saw this month that the struggle, like it just wasn't, it wasn't the same Joe. So what, what do the jazz have to do? Uh, what, what, what is the, how do the jazz survive this without Joe Ingalls? So the first one in just the simplest form is something we've all talked about an awful lot in this show is the concept of 240 minutes. And w- whenever I look at a roster, I always ask myself, does this team have 240 minutes? We don't right now. We just lost 25 minutes. Of Joe Ingles on a team that doesn't have a great deal of depth. In fact, if you follow Dan Clayton on Twitter, he's been doing a really interesting piece where if you look at our main guy's play, we're really good. The minute we add one other piece to the puzzle, we're not. We now have 25 minutes of having to add one more piece to the puzzle. The best player on our roster <clears throat> that is not playing a great deal is eric Paschal. The problem to me is I was beginning to see signs and spent a bunch of time on it yesterday on how eric pascal at the 5 actually might work. Despite being 6-6 six, six and not a great rebounder, we were actually rebounding fine. There were beginning to be some lineups that showed that if you had other ball handlers and shooters and on the floor with eric pascal, namely joe, that actually the small lineup would work cuz suddenly a boy on at 68 and Joe and Eric Pasco at 66 and maybe Rudy Gay or Joe I mean you just had a bunch of guys that were actually all big enough to get it done and the length that we lose from Joe Ingles here is vital he's as much as Joe has been off his game and not looked quite right and you know I I really feel like the last few games were as far off as I've ever seen him you still at 68 there's a lot of defensive metrics that showed that he was far better than what we thought we were seeing Um, And it all stems back to the length. So we lose that. And we just, you know, honestly don't have 240 minutes. And we lose some of our best lineups on the floor. Some of the very best lineups that we have as a team involve Joe Ingles. The bridge lineup, as we called it. The one that bridged the first and second quarter. The one that bridged the third to the fourth quarter. Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert, and either Eric Pascal or Rudy Gay. It had been equally successful um, so far this year. Was the key to why we won games that Joe Ingles in that lineup. We were plus eighteen point four with Rudy Gay. That same lineup with Eric Pascal's plus plus twenty two point two. So in you know seven hundred possessions this year, that group's about a plus twenty. Uh, with the two six men of the year award winners in my mind, Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert, two All-Stars. It didn't matter if it was Eric Pascal or Rudy Gobert is actually a little bit better with, with Eric Pascal. That that's a that's a key, key lineup to us that now we can say like, well, the next best player for the Utah Jazz to play and to help Joe out is is Rudy Gay or Eric Pascal, but Rudy is on the floor there. So now suddenly you're playing Eric Pascal and Rudy Gay together. I'm not sure um that's really the answer. Another one of our our key lineups was Donovan with Royce, Boyan, and Joe, and Rudy had played a little bit, was plus 13. Some of our Joe and Hassan lineups were not quite as good. Um, but as we look at our rotations, we're gonna. it's going to be a real effort to fill that. And I don't know who the player is to me that fills it. it the Eric Pascal is the best player that isn't playing, but Eddie House or Elijah Hughes probably fits kind of to our rotation, but neither of them have that skill set of ball handling. And things of that nature. Now, you know, on the other end, if Joe didn't break out of his January slumber, we were probably going to have to do, you know, something anyway um, on that. The biggest one to me, frankly, is that Rudy Gay has to step forward in some capacity on this. We'll talk about that some more in just a second. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Built Bar. With the coconut brownie, chunk is my favorite. The churro puffs are back, and I got to admit, surprisingly, surprisingly good. I haven't made my coconut marshmallow um, order yet, but I will have to very, very shortly because I'm kind of enamored with the whole puffs. Plus, you have all the regular flavors, mint brownie, raspberry, coconut, salted caramel, peanut butter brownie, cherry barcia, cookies, and cream. Caramel almond delight is one of the favorites of my partner, Carl. Calories 130, fat grams 2.5, carbs 4, sugar 4. No nuts on some of them. Some have nuts. Um, I'm a big fan of the no nuts because I'm allergic, so I try not to die. Uh, And 17 grams of protein. Truly, it is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It's amazing. It's built bar, 100% real chocolate, 100% delicious. Promo code LOCKED15 gets you 15% welcome bonus that's a 15% welcome bonus for not a welcome bonus 15% bonus at all times you can do any order uh, for a built bar so the player to me that has to step up here is Rudy Gay and we're relying now on another 35 year old to suddenly get going Rudy Gay right now is at a career low field goal percentage 41 percent he's shooting 35 percent from three um, and he's had, he also has had kind of a miserable January here for the Utah Jazz. In the month of January, Rudy Gay is shooting 37% from the field, 30% from three. He's shooting actually 29% from three since the end of November in the first seven games of the year. Um, and to me, this is the guy who it now falls on. And he probably has struggled not getting enough minutes and being. Lar- you know, a big enough part of the rotation and the roster. And now is an opportunity in the last 26 games. He's shooting 38% from the field, 29% from three. He's averaging eight points. He's five rebounds. But to me, this is, he's going to have to play with the ball in his hands, play with, I don't know if he can play the pick and roll. Um, He's going to have to play defensively. Like they asked him to, to me, the answer on this roster as it sits right now is, and has to be Rudy Gay, uh, for the player that steps up to try to help the Jazz uh, through this sequence. And uh, you start to look at the rotations, and it's not, you know, we've had, it's been a long time since we actually had a rotation. I was trying to find today, like, um, wh- wh- what game can I find for Jazz fans to look at and decide, you know, let's look at our rotation and how it would work. I actually went back um, to try to find one that I thought would work, and I went back to a, November game against New Orleans, just randomly. And then even on that one, um, we, we were short Royce O'Neal. So I kind of laughed at the fact that the way this season has gone, trying to find games in which you look at our rotation to figure out, um, you know, what it is and how we can actually get the right guys on the floor and, and playing. So if you look at it, Joe used to come in right at the 619 mark, and Rudy Gay would come in at the 358 mark. I think you're going to have to bring Rudy Gay in with Asan Whiteside now, Mike Conley and and Rudy Gobert sitting down at that point. And then Rudy Gay probably has to now play, if he's capable of it, that Joe Ingles extended stretch. Joe used to play. Those 25 minutes came in two 12-, 13-minute stints. And what you're now going to try to cover is Rudy Gay's minutes, which which will likely be with Eric Paschal. And that's where Pascal now plays Gay's minutes, which are the four minutes to close the first and the four minutes to lead the second. But your lineups are now just so different. It's just, instead of a 40% three-point shooter, you have Eric Pascal on the floor. Instead of another ball handler, it's Rudy Gay. It's really, really a difficult sequence for the Jazz. We'll talk a little bit more about the locker room, the trade value, and how the franchise moves forward, uh, continuing on our edition, Joe Ingles' edition of Locked on Jazz today. It is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. David Locke with you, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Thanks very much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen every single day. For your second listen, grab Locked On Now, a daily podcast running through all of the actions of last night's games, including the NFL, NHL, NBA, all separated on for you in the podcast on Locked On Now or go to Locked On NBA on YouTube. Jazz suffered a massive injury, Joe Ingles' left knee buckles, explodes, gives out whatever phrase you want to use. We have not heard an official word as of recording this, but all indications are it could be season ending uh, for Joe, and time will tell whether or not it's his final game with the Utah Jazz or a career ending um, for the Utah Jazz. So let's look at that for Joe. I mean, the first question for the franchise moving forward is he's a free agent at the end of the year, and so if he's still on the roster at the end of the year, Joe then has to make a decision of of what he wants to do. Does he want to rehab – try to come back, play again, not have this be his final moment? Or is the bronze medal for Australia, the three kids, the wife, 34 years old, um, feeling as though it's just, you know, this is the right time. You just don't go much later than this. This was the end of it. Uh, I'll rehab and, and get it done, but I'm going to go on and have a regular life and <clears throat> get back to beautiful Melbourne, Australia and and, and do what I do. The time will tell. So for the jazz <coughs> now, Moving forward as a franchise, we talked a little bit earlier on on the floor, and I, as I said, I think it's Rudy Gay with an Eric Paschal combination, maybe some Daniel House in there. I do think the <clears throat> the unfortunate was I think Eric Paschal began begun to show signs of maybe being able to play a lineup with a five, um, and so if you suddenly have Paschal and Gay playing together in those minutes with white Whiteside, you're it, it, that, that doesn't feel great to me um, right now. The the Jazz have not done that. Uh, very much together. You probably can do it with just Rudy Gobert, um, but you have, I don't think they've played Eric Paschal and Rudy Gay together this year with a center. This will be, if they do that, it will be the first time um, all season long that the jazz have done that with Rudy Gay and Eric Paschal together uh, with a center from a purely just, you know, if you're listening on YouTube and grabbing this segment, there's two other segments that are kind of about Joe, his player and what he brings from a purely pragmatic standpoint now from a franchise standpoint I don't know that this hurts his trade value actually a great deal I know that sounds crazy but if you look at the NBA trade machine and we are obviously not going to run through our first Western Conference teams today and you look at the Jazz in many ways depending on the trade you were making with Joe Ingles you were really just trading Joe Ingles 13 million dollar contract that expires the end of the season it's unlikely you were trading Joe Ingles to a team that saw Joe as a major piece to the puzzle moving forward at 34 years old. And so, you know, even if you were doing some wild crazy trade, like a Tobias Harris or Gordon Hayward, who was another max player we talked about, like we had these like three max players. Anyway, And so Joe was in it. Joe was in it because of a $13 million contract. I actually think that's still just as likely. I don't think that this is crazy as that sounds. I don't think this actually hurts Joe's trade value. Um, the Jazz ability to trade Joe. Joe's trade was going to be a $13 million contract that was moving to a team, in many ways, maybe going to be bought out um, so he could go play for someone else down the stretch. He was going to be a free agent at the end of the season where he got to pick where he was going to play. Um, or maybe even, you know, depending, uh, as I said earlier, I think it probably cost Joe, you know, 10 to $15 million, um, the injury last night, if, if in fact it's season ending. Hopefully he gets some of it back if he wants to keep playing. But from a purely trade standpoint, you know, I would say that that's it, it shouldn't have a large impact um on the jazz. If they have a trade they want to make and he's a thirteen million dollar slot, they probably had to put a draft pick. If it's for a really good player, they were gonna probably have to put a draft pick into it prior, and they're probably still gonna to have to put a draft pick um into it. The interesting the interesting one for the Jazz, by the way, you know, and you know, I I don't you know, Joe had shot thirty percent from the field and twenty percent from three for the month of January. I don't think he had fallen off the cliff. I just think he was off, and if you look at his career, January has always been a tough one. But if for some reason he had fallen off the cliff, this at least gets them moving forward. Um, I don't know. That's that, I don't have a lot of feeling on that one, but there is probably something there. The, the biggest concern for me for the Jazz kind of going forward is the locker room. So, and it's been interesting to hear that Mike Conley's taking a larger role has been a little quiet. This has not been a team – where Mike, is the veteran, has been very loud. Joe's been one of the louder guys in that locker room. George Niang was the most positive energy in that locker room. And Favors was the quiet leader in that locker room. Like, all of them, passage of time, are suddenly not prevalent playing every day. And so I do think that's a really big issue for the Jazz is kind of where their soul is as a franchise right now. And, you know, Joe and Jordan had this incredible connection. Joe was kind of the... You know, Joe was kind of the one who could maybe poke at you a little bit on the truth of what was going on. Like, you know, hey, you know, it's nice to nice to drop 30. How was that defense last night? Oh, like, oh, like, oh, you're going to go there. Yeah, I am going to go there. Kind of like, I think that was a little bit in his makeup at times that he could probably get on someone Um, like, hey, those were three great. Like, what, what about like, you know, whatever it might be. Um so I think that there was some truth serum to what he kind of had in the locker room, and then also just his his personality was positive in so many ways that you wanted to be around it. That that's a real loss uh, for this for this group in in that sense. And so I, I don't want to minimize that. And there's not any way to have it, but from a pure pragmatic trade standpoint, I, I actually don't think it's a big hurt. February 10th is coming. And if Joe was the primary trade piece for the Jazz, which I'm certain he was aware of, then I still think he is. And I don't actually think that the fact that he can't play hurts um, a great deal. In fact, it might make it easier for everybody. Like if we trade Joe Ingles tomorrow, the outrage from the Jazz fans is going to be less than it would have been before he got hurt. If he had been traded, you know, four days from now when he's still playing, the outrage would have been, I think, significant. Um, that here's our guy and we traded him. At this point, you're literally just moving a contract the way you did with Matt Harpering at the end of his career. And then Joe can rehab and sign wherever he wants um, as a free agent. Uh, the last one I wanted to just point out today, I just thought was almost cruel, is that Quinn and Joe have been really, really tied together. You know, Quinn brought Joe, um, created a kind of a role for him in an offense that was a little different for him, put the ball in his hands, trusted him, let him make plays, did a lot of things. Um, you know, they probably definitely had their their rubs at times where Quinn wanted Joe to run and Joe wanted to come back for the ball and this and that. But the fact of the matter was that those two were, were incredibly intertwined and been together. And here's Quinn Snyder for only the second time in his NBA career missing a game. And then worse than missing a game has COVID and is not able to be in the locker room to be with Joe last night. Or even worse than that, he actually, having, I believe, gotten back to Salt Lake City, is now unable to go see Joe. Um, so really just kind of the cruelty of all of what we're living through um, right now with COVID and everything else really comes to strike on this story internally for us if we all know um, how it works in the sense that Quinn and Joe so intertwined their careers so so met together um, for the jazz and I think you know suddenly Quinn unable to go spend the time with Joe uh, that he would want to and want to support him uh, in so many so many different ways. So uh, that's kind of where we sit. Just to just a recap it all. Um, you know, we'll hear today on the news. Hopefully this show was unnecessary, but it didn't, doesn't sure doesn't seem like it. Here's a guy who comes to us in 2014-15, evolves from, you know, a guy that doesn't look like an NBA player at all, that's the substitute math teacher to a key cog of why the jazz were so good during all these years, with the most memorable moments from Paul George to the Memphis headman. We see the truth of who he is as a human, as he supports his son through uh, his wife and his family through autism, and they support him as well. The the autism night uh, in in the uh, Vivint Smart uh Vivian arena it's one of the great you know moments of all time we see joe openly share with us uh what he gets uh, the the accomplishment of that bronze medal and bringing that to his home country uh and then we you know the locker room of this team has been special and that's been a signature of joe ingles we've seen him evolve as a player and become better in the way that i think all of us want to get better in our lives and improve ourselves at what we do um we've he's been our special piece like we knew how good Joe was, and the rest of the league might not have known. and couldn't quite figure out, like, why are we losing to the Jazz? I mean, I know they got Donovan and Rudy, but what? Well, because we got Joe, I and mean, it was Joe was doing all those things. And now the Jazz have to find a way to replace his 25 minutes a night. The 25 minutes that most recently in the month of January weren't very good, but have been for so long. And frankly, right now we're short 240 minutes um, as an NBA team. We've got to find new lineups. We've got to rebuild rotations. It's a key cog. Uh, for the Jazz to be able to replace it. The player I think it falls most uh, square on their shoulders is Rudy Gay. He's got a three-year contract. Um, He's got to step up a larger role, be ready to go, get his body into the best condition he can for 35 years old and see what he can do. And finally, from a trade standpoint, uh, from a locker room standpoint, I think it's a a gaping, gaping hole for the Utah Jazz and what they're doing moving forward. But from a trade standpoint, I don't know that it is actually – um, that big a detriment. I, I I think that Joe's contract was actually what was being moved more than Joe's skills if the Jazz were to make a move at this point and try to get better. And that still seems to be feasible and maybe even in some ways easier than it was before. All right, that is Locked on Jazz today. Tough day for Jazz fans. The Happy Hat will come back tomorrow. It will be February. We can turn a page from the 4 and 12 January month and uh, hopefully... Uh, move toward better days with Donovan and Rudy getting healthy, rebuild this team, find out what they can do through this adversity. It's going to, it's an interesting twist and it's an unfortunate twist on what has already been a tough season for the Utah jazz. This has been locked on jazz right now. Make your second listen locked on now on podcast or locked on now at locked on NBA on YouTube. Have a great one.